Welcome to Optivate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey everyone, you are tuned in to yet another episode of the App Today podcast brought to you by Remerge. I today am your host, Tommy. And I today, as always, have a super awesome, super cool, very smart guest on the line with me. Super excited to talk to this person. I guess at this point, I'm just catching myself. I've said the word super like already five times. So we're off to a rip-roaring start here or a superstar, as you might say. So before I say that word again, I'm going to introduce today's guest, who is Joel DeBus, who is the marketing manager at Klarna. Joel, what's going on? Hey, Tommy. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Have you done a podcast before? Yeah, I've done a couple, but not in a while, honestly. So let's do it. I prefer it when people haven't ever done one before because then they have no point of comparison <laughs> with what I do. <laughs> no, I'm sure this will be the best one for sure. No, we want to say it's the worst one so that no matter what happens, <laughs> we feel good at the end. But cool. Where are you based? You're in New York, yeah? Yes, New York City. How long have you been there? Been there for around six years or so, ever okay. since I started my career in CRM, actually. Interesting. Where were you before New York then? Southern California. So I was the opposite of New York, basically. Which one do you like more? I think New York. You know when you grow up somewhere and then you're like, grass is always greener, and then it's usually greener for a bit. So maybe I'll fall in love with LA again in a few years. What are your feelings on seasons, right? Because you obviously didn't get them before and now you get all of them. Do you love it or hate it? (laughs) I get all the cold, all the warmth. I personally like it because in LA, it's great because it's always warm, but you don't get that variety. And I feel like out here in the East, you get that variety. So it's change is good. Do holidays feel the same in LA? Do they feel like, for example, I'm not sure your denomination doesn't really matter though. When you're in New York, does Christmas feel more like Christmas or Hanukkah feel more like Hanukkah or whatever holiday you celebrate versus somewhere like LA? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it might be just because you walk more and you see more things like office buildings and all this stuff, honestly, like, but I definitely think I notice it a lot more out here. You brought this funny thing. You walk more in New York. I went to LA a few times. Like you don't walk at all there. Everyone drives. Exactly. You have to. I mean, if you just want to go like a few blocks or something, it would be like a two minute drive and then like a 20 minute walk or something. So (laughs) it's spread out. That's weird. It's weird to be in a big metropolitan place where like everyone is driving. Yeah. City planners, where you at? (laughs) All right, cool. In any case, so you've been in New York six years. You've been at Klarna for a short period of time. Take us through kind of, you mentioned when you came to New York, that's when you first started out in your capacity of marketing with a focus on CRM. What got you into CRM and then what brought you to Klarna? Yeah, good question. It's, I feel like it's always helpful to know like how someone got to where they are. So I'll do a brief kind of how I got here. So I started out of college with a marketing degree and I didn't know what I wanted to do in marketing. So I applied to a bunch of jobs, trying to move to New York City from California. And I applied to an SEO job at a small online publisher startup in New York City. And they basically said, well, this role is filled. Do you want to do this like email marketing job for us? And I was like, sure. So that's kind of actually where I started in email marketing specifically. And at that company, I really got to grow for a few years and had a lot of direct contact with like 
the executives at the company and like got to really grow as like an email marketer got to learn about a lot of different tools and like teach myself and it was really fun so in online publishing i kind of moved from there to ed tech companies and i moved to e-commerce and eventually after that period of time of like five years or so i found my way to klarna where i get to really specialize in marketing automation. So my kind of career trajectory has been always CRM, but has been mainly full stack CRM is what we call it, where it's like you can do everything from campaigns to automations and et cetera. And I'm really kind of specialized in my career into like marketing automation. So that's kind of how I got here to Klarna. Awesome. You mentioned in college, you studied marketing and it's going to be hard to answer this question, but it just came to me and I'm curious about it. So I'm going to ask it. When you were in college, Do you think you would have envisioned this would be what you were doing? Or did you have a different perception of what marketing meant when you were in college, you think? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like in college, nothing's ever as specific as real world. Like I learned a lot more from like my internships and stuff like that than in college, to be honest. And I did not know that this was a job, to be honest. And it was a pleasant surprise, I guess, because I feel like the most you get in college is like social media marketing and that's like your digital marketing class or something. And it's not really so much about specific mobile marketing like you or CRM or et cetera. Yeah, it's funny. You never get into the nitty gritty of these things until you're actually doing them. And you're like, oh, wow, you can do this? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's just interesting. Like I majored in English and if someone told me you'll be selling programmatic media, I'd be like, I have no idea what you just said, bro. So it's, that's it's a cool, funny. that's a cool change from English to <laughs> programmatic. I was an asshole. And I, when I was like 18, I was like, I'm going to be a writer or something like that. And obviously like I was not a good writer. So when it came time to get a job, I was like, I'm going to, I first worked in publishing for a half, half a year. And I thought it was the worst thing ever. And then, so I, my buddy found me a job as like a, they called a BDR, right? Business development representative, the guys who hound people with emails to get them on a call. And that's, it was all history from there. But this podcast is assuredly not about me. So you got to Klarna, you're obviously specializing in CRM. What attracted you to Klarna? If you, just for people who might not be as familiar, can you give us a quick synopsis of what Klarna focuses on? For sure. Yeah. Klarna basically was one of the pioneers in the buy now, pay later service industry. So Many years ago, I think 14 or so years ago, they started in Stockholm, Sweden, and wanted to revolutionize the way people pay, basically. And they've continuously grown since their beginnings across the globe in many different markets. And they're expanding now kind of backwards in the funnel of the purchase journey for the user. At the beginning, they were kind of like payments. And now they're moving back into like, how can we make the shopping experience in general better for users and more smooth is kind of the tagline. So that's kind of what Klarna is in general. And to answer your question of why I wanted to join Klarna, number one, it was just like, I've always worked at smaller companies up to this point of like less than 200 people or so. And Klarna is like 5,000 plus or so employees. So it was quite a change. And I thought it would be a really good challenge for me to like, you know, work with a lot of smart people across the globe. I also like really fell in love with like the job title that was potentially mine, which was like marketing automation specifically, like honing in, like I talked about and specializing in one certain area. So I think those kind of two factors together were exciting for me to like explore. Karn is an extremely interesting space. Would you say like, is the mission of this company to make, maybe it's not either of you, maybe it's not one or the other, maybe it's both, but is it to make 
shopping experiences better or is it to democratize a person's ability to afford an item, if that makes sense? Because part of the, I imagine, argument here is, hey, while you can't afford this table for $300 now, you could afford a table for $200 paying in every month. Is that part of the mission you think of the business? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Klarna in general, we have a lot of educational content about how to make your like finances like more manageable. We have a lot of tools like savings budgeting tools. So our mission in general is to like help people manage their money better and easier because the current system is like kind of broken with banks and credit cards with a lot of interest rates and stuff like that. And with Klarna, it's a way different experience in how you manage your money. It's interesting, right? Because like you just mentioned, like this before companies like Klarna, this is a fully non-service kind of group of people or just service, right? Which is to say, like, if you wanted money to buy something, you couldn't go to your bank. No bank's going to give you $100 to buy a TV or whatever amount for a TV, right? There's not a real thing there. You could go to a credit card, but sometimes going over your credit card limit can be just as dangerous as anything else in terms of what it does to your score. Or you could go and get like a payday loan, which is literally the worst thing you could do. So this really does service. It kind of lives as all of those things, but in a way that really provides a good service to the consumers, which is interesting. I should be a slow person. I'm doing a really good job. I'm going to pat myself on the back. You should, yeah. You should. We'll hire you. Yeah. <laughs> if you need content, just ask me. I'll give you a quote. Okay, cool. One of the things that you've mentioned a few times, and obviously for our listeners, we're obviously going to talk about CRM. And most of our listeners who have listened to this podcast for a while know that that's not a place where I focus my time and energy as a professional. I work on the display side of retention and retargeting. Nevertheless, what I'm curious about is you've used the phrase marketing automation a few times, right? And what I'm curious about is to understand what marketing automation means to you and what good marketing automation looks like within your capacity. Great question. So marketing automation at a high level is if I want to communicate things to my customers, I need a good way to send communication to them in an automated way. And it's based kind of on like trigger points within the customer journey. So the easy, simple example is I sign up for a newsletter. And in general, you don't want to just kind of start them off with like a bunch of newsletters that you're sending over and over and every week. You want to like introduce them to your brand. You want to showcase some of maybe like your products. Maybe you want to showcase some articles or something. You want to learn more about them and their interests. So you try to do something in an automated way, like you have preset things that you built and everything and timing and and all that stuff. So that's kind of like a very high level example of marketing automation is how do you do a consistent thing over and over to all your customers that are doing a certain thing, I guess. And then what's good marketing automation? Your second question, I would say the best ones are the ones that can scale quickly, meaning it doesn't require a lot of manual maintenance. I think that's a very important thing. There are some cases where you can go into that you might have to do a bunch of manual work to maintain something like with your data or anything like that. Something that's really just always on and not really worried about having to maintain it. And number two, I'd say what makes a good marketing automation journey is, is it as personalized as it can for those group of customers? If it's too broad or too general, you've kind of defeated the purpose. But if you can really get into the mind of the consumer and be able to create a good journey that can incrementally improve the way they're using your product or buying things, that's a win. It is. 
I'm going to unpack this a little bit by asking you a series of essentially how questions. So the first one is you mentioned, it sounds like to some degree, a lot of this starts from with trigger points, which was a term that I think you used. So the first question, the first how question is, how do you identify a trigger point? How do you go through the process of understanding what those inflection points are and, and then create some sort of a sequence behind it? Yeah, so it's really like mapping out what consumers are doing in your app or on your website or whatever. A good way to think about it is like the working backwards methodology. For my case, for example, I look at when a user makes a purchase and then with some data that I get or from analysts, I can see like, what's the thing that they do right before that? What's the thing that they do right before that? And etc. The first thing they might do is open the app and then they might go to the homepage and then they might click the search bar. And then they might start typing and then they might start doing this. And you can kind of start to get a funnel of what they're doing and where they're dropping off. I think that's like, honestly, the best thing that you can do as marketing automation is identifying those places where people drop off. And then that's your ideal point to like get them back in that funnel. That's like a very general example, but yeah. Does that then, because the second question I was going to be, it was how do you create personalization? Does mapping out those trigger points basically serve as the impetus for how you then determine your personalization? Meaning I'm, I search something, I go to make a purchase of an item and I drop off and I don't make the purchase. Is that what is the ter determinant to your personalization, generally speaking? That's a part of it. I'd say one part of it is that contextual mapping. Another part is like, what are they actually doing and what do they care about, I guess? And that's the harder part, which is like, what content are they consuming or what are they interested in? Like, are they looking at Nike shoes or are they looking at PlayStation 5s, for example? And that's where I come in and getting the data and being able to repurpose it and reuse it in addition to the drop-off points. So it's a mixture of intent plus the actual content that they're looking at. Sorry, I don't know why it took so long. No, it's true. Easy word. In intent plus content. Yeah, I'd, I'd say those are like the very two like important buckets that you look into like when you're creating a journey. Okay, so we've answered a little bit of how do we determine trigger points, right? And that's by working backwards. At least one of the ways that you go about it is take the endpoint and say, how did we get here? And then find all the steps along the way, understand the drop-off within those steps. And that helps you determine what a funnel might look like for a specific kind of consumer. Right? Yeah, exactly. Because there could be multiple different funnels too, depending on what they're trying to do. It's not always, it's definitely never just one. There's a lot of different paths that people can take in doing things. And you, my job is just to find what are the ones that'll create the biggest impact and then go backwards. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's the first piece. Personalization is tied to that to some degree in terms of understanding intent and then content obviously lives within the app itself and you have tools to help you identify what is the content you're looking at. The last piece, and as you mentioned, it was actually the second thing that you would mention, but I'll use it as the last, was you said good automation is something that's easily scalable. Talk to me about that. How do you create easily scalable automation? A lot of it is just utilizing dynamic content as much as possible. Dynamic content is, I guess, in a nutshell, stuff that exists on your app or your website that you can store and then resurface in an email or a push notification or a text or whatever. So an example of that is you're viewing Nike Air Jordans. We collect that information. That was the last product you viewed. We store that information along with the image and everything. And we have a skeleton kind of copy template and all that. But 
whatever your product was, just like retargeting like you do in your company, you just kind of resurface it within that skeleton. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, I'll ask you, there's a tool that comes to mind. It's called Braze. And that's what I feel like everyone in CRM uses, or at least a lot of them. I think there's Braze, there's Segment, there's a few others. Do you find that that's a tool that you guys lean on heavily and tools like that you lean on heavily? So we use Braze at Klarna and we really like them because they're very app focused for sure. A lot of app companies use them and they have a lot of good out of the box tools for you to use, like the stuff that I'm talking about using some like liquid code is what it's called, syntax and everything. So yeah. Liquid code? Yeah, it's, it's called liquid syntax. It's like a Shopify language and you can use that within your email templates or your push notifications. It's just like how you communicate with the, their backend code and stuff. Braze, if you're listening, that was a sick plug and maybe you should consider sponsoring this. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you talked a little bit about kind of broken it down into its elements, right? How do we identify trigger paths? How do we develop scale? And how do we create personalization with all of this? All pretty intuitive stuff. That's the data component of it for the most part. There's got to be a qualitative component to this as well, right? Because ultimately the end user is a consumer and the experiences can be pretty dramatic and different. So can you speak to me about is there anything you do to take qualitative data into account and try to hear from consumers? And does that impact your approach at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, luckily with like a larger company like Klarna, it's easier to do this because there's like teams focused on user research and UX research and interviews and stuff like that. And we regularly have meetings with them to see what people are thinking about certain products, like experiences in the app and such. So that's, I guess, easier is like using the qualitative data there and you can make assumptions like based on these users are feeling like this or like this. At a smaller company, that's a bit harder and you don't have as much access to that. So this is kind of my first experience with more of that data, I'd say. Yeah, it's interesting. It's nice that you have a team to help power all of that. Have you found in your experience at Klarna or anywhere else that something you thought made a lot of sense based off data really didn't work out for you guys in the end or, or created a really poor user experience. Has that happened? Yeah, I mean, one that comes to mind, I guess, is a test that I specifically ran recently with a colleague. And we were testing the kind of design of the in-app message sizes. One of them was kind of a smaller slide up, kind of like looks like a push notification in our app, but just coming from the bottom. And one was kind of a half screen modal and stuff. Obviously, the half screen modal had like two buttons. It was larger, had bigger text, it had more information. And the smaller one was just kind of like a text blurb and then a, a small thing underneath. I personally expected like the half screen modal to just perform overall better because it was just more, <laughs> for lack of better words, intrusive. But overall, we saw this slide up modal had equal order conversion rate, meaning purchases even though like, the half screen modal had higher like engagement with other features in the product over a, the course of three days and like by significant amount, the amount of orders was equal. So that kind of was a really interesting, I think, insight into you don't need to be as aggressive, especially like with certain consumers, if you don't need to be, because you might not need to be like going that crazy with your design and stuff. You can be simple. Simple is better sometimes. When you roll out a test like that, we're essentially A, A, B testing two hypotheses, more or less against one another. Do you have a specific framework that you follow for A, B testing? And then do you implement some sort of data science around that to 
ensure that you've reached some degree of statistical significance to be able to draw a conclusion? Is that how it works? Yeah, I mean, we have analysts on most of our teams, and we work really closely with them to make sure like tests are statistically significant. But as far as determining in a hypothesis, it kind of, I guess, goes back to the working backwards approach, which is, I want to achieve this outcome. Here's the way, I, the two ways maybe that I think are best doing it. For in my case, there's the in-app message design and stuff, but it could be like journey A has like a message on day zero, day three, and day five. And the other one has day one and day four and day six, let's say. And you use like a control group that doesn't receive either. And then those two going through. And then that's how you can kind of get that information from there. So I'd say it's like, I think that answers your question, right? It absolutely answers my question. Yeah, yeah. I hear you say it. I'm like, damn, there are just so many components you could focus on with any of these hypotheses. You said we could try, try day zero, day three, day five, whatever, versus day one, day two, day four. You can stretch that out. You can do so many different things based on what you're used to doing. And one of the challenges I'd imagine with an app like Klarna is as the app grows bigger and bigger and bigger, you see more and more types of consumers potentially even using the app for different kinds of reasons. So the use cases and the manners in which you have to apply CRM they diversify rather quickly. Has that been your experience at all? Absolutely. We even have like a work stream right now that's focused on like users and like how they interact with Klarna and why they like Klarna and why they don't like Klarna. It's really interesting. Qualitative data again, which is what you're talking about. So yes, I totally agree. And also to go back to what you talked about with like all the different ways you can test, I'd say maybe I would add that to my answer of like what makes good marketing automation is like different timing, different channels. Like, do you do the in-app message first, then the push, then the email, or do you vice versa? There's like specific design, like I talked about with the in-app message is like, you can do it in different ways. Even with an email, you can have like the image above, you can have it below, you can have no image, you can have different copy, you can do different subject line testing. It's pretty much endless with marketing automation and with Braze as a tool, we can like be very flexible with how we test. But the key thing is, is like knowing what things will have the biggest and testing on those. So you don't want to go crazy with your testing, like testing every small thing. You want to be like, what are the things that I intuitively think will have the biggest impact and then go from there. Yeah. And quantifying what's going to have the biggest impact. Obviously there's data that goes into that. And it's really, I imagine at that point, it's a matter of determining what is the size of the audience that we're looking to address with this particular change or this particular structure, whatever the case may be. And that's probably a large determinant in how you determine what's going to have the most impact. Correct? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty intuitive, but I mean, it's obviously not as easy as you're making it sound. So let me ask you maybe one or two more final questions here, right? First one is, what is like the hardest part of your job? Because when you say this again to me, it sounds like, okay, yeah, obviously you break up your users, you figure out what they're doing, and then you kind of test different things against them. But it's not that, right? Because there's a lot of data analysis, so on and so forth. So what's the biggest challenge you face maybe day in and day out? That's a good question. Yeah, it's definitely not as easy as it, <laughs> as it sounds maybe. But I'd say like one thing that's really difficult, I think at all companies, but especially at Klarna because we're so big is I guess not having control groups be contaminated by so many things happening like app teams are running tests other crm teams are sending things that need to be sent and it's really honestly like we're trying to really figure that out at klarna is like how to best kind of do our control groups and have like accurate kind of 
data analysis because you the last thing you want is to not trust your data and that's where we don't want to <laughs> go to i'd say like that's a, a difficult thing in addition i'd say also is like in segue to that is there are so many people at Klarna working on crm so there's teams working on like the Klarna card that we have there's people working on the bank accounts there's people working on the shopping app like me there's people like focused on our partner affiliate marketing so you can see there's a lot of different teams that are touching the same consumers and that can create a lot of overlap so in addition to the contamination it's a really difficult thing to like make sure it's a cohesive journey which is what i'm really focused on and not like kind of sporadic and kind of weird for the consumer for lack of better words yeah, I mean, ultimately, you you all have to be airtight in your approaches and hyper communicative with your teams, right? Because if you're not airtight in terms of how are we conducting this test, like you said, right? Like all of this, from my purview, right? It is it kind of centers on the use of effective data science because without effective data science, you can draw zero conclusions as to whether or not your hypotheses are actually making an impact on the consumer's journey within your app, right? If you're not airtight in your test control creation, then the data is more or less worthless. So that's not worthless, but obviously it's not something that you can use as effectively. And on top of that, if you have, like you said, I don't know how many people will call it tens of people, at least in the CRM department, executing different things against the same users, it'd be so easy to cross wires. So that's in and of itself, a very, very challenging thing to organize against, but it sounds like you guys are doing an incredible job. <laughs> yeah, we're trying. The people at the Rick at Klarna and CRM are super smart, and I really enjoy working with them. So definitely recommend working here if you can, anyone who's in CRM or wants to be in CRM. Last question. What's the thing you love the most about working in CRM? In a nutshell, I think it's kind of like programming in a weird way, because you're solving problems. You're doing kind of visual programming by doing like these conditional branches, like if this, then this, and etc. So you get to do a lot of cool problem solving. And I think that's fun just in general, number one. Number two is you can like, if you want to get really specialized into marketing automation, you can have access to a lot of different tools. So like I've used Braze, I've used Marketo, I've used BlueCore, I've used Klaviyo, etc. And you can kind of get a feel of each one's strengths and weaknesses. And you can kind of start to learn like, oh, this other tool can do this. I wonder if this tool can do it. And I think that's also kind of fun is like kind of the technological aspect of it. And then number three, I think is like working with data is really fun. Like being able to make a specific message really personalized or really relevant for a consumer, I think is really fun because so much of email marketing is just blast and it's not really talking to the consumer. So I think being able to be pushing forward in the world of CRM, of making things more personalized is fun. Using data is fun. That could be a nice catchphrase, right? Um, and I think one of the, the nice things here, right, is the end result is if you execute your job effectively, there is a real argument to make that you can have a real nice positive effect on someone's life. If you can get in there and, and get them with a message that's actually meant for them in a way that'll benefit their experience, then there is a real positive end effect here. And I think that's a cool thing with CRM and really any kind of marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. Joel, this has been a lot of fun. I know my questions are very high level and it's because I don't really know anything about CRM, but 
I've appreciated you. Again, like I said, I know that you're making this sounds like easier than it is, but I think that's always a good thing, right? When someone can break something down in a way that anyone can understand it. So I so appreciate that, but I know that your team is absolutely killing it. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast with me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. And yeah, really enjoyed it. Cool. For all our listeners, today's guest is Joel DeBus, who is the marketing manager at Klarna. Joel, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.